Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from four exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium, bonjour. Alessio. Hello. Audrey. Hi everyone. And I'm your host, Fen. We're going to be talking today about a few games that are all excellent options for one or two players, with a couple of them having space to play with more, if, you know, you happen to be able to squeeze three or four people around a table in this day and age. We're going to start with Too Many Bones, we're going to look at Micro Macro Crime City, One Deck Dungeon, and finally end it with the solo game Hostage Negotiator. But before we get into all of that, we're going to start with the standee catch-up. So it's been a little while, what have you been up to, Alessio? Oh, well, it's actually been a while. <laughs> so, um, I was basically on vacation, so that's time to recharge. That's great, because I'm currently being overworked. But I managed to snatch a couple of games. For example, on vacation, with the family, but with the kids asleep. I have to say that. <laughs> I played a lot of, of The Crew Mission uh, Deep Sea. And, well... There's a lot of improvements from the objectives in the new game. Also, uh, I, I decided that uh, Secret Hitler is, uh, is a party game so good that it deserved just uh, to not have the print and play. I bought the actual uh, physical copy of the game. That's so cool. <laughs> That's really overproduced. <laughs> I, I know it is. I keep eyeing it up, um, but I really want to get the um, the Cthulhu-themed version. But that's in the UK. They print it, so there's the import costs and everything. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I actually had to pay like uh, 10 euros totals of uh, import costs. So that was pretty affordable. Uh, it has wooden placards and uh, silver and gold trimmings, so <laughs> it's exceptional. It's very beautiful. It's luxury. It's luxury. Now, uh, of course, I, I have Fancy. to find. Fancy. Yeah, yeah. I have to find like five to ten people to play with. It with. <laughs> Never used that... to be a problem back in the day, but uh, <laughs> right now, yeah, obstacles. Could, could, could have could have a few issues. Anyway, everyone is green passed because I also completed the COVID vac vaccine, vaccine, vac vac vaccinated, vac something. Okay, <laughs> I don't know how to spell vaccine. Vaccine. Shots. Vaccine vaccination. Vaccine. Okay, vaccination. I knew. I didn't know if vaccine or vaccine. Vaccine. Okay. Just uh, say shots. That, that, that's bubbling a lot for me. So what have you been up to, Audrey? Uh, same as you. Uh, lots of holiday time with my parents, with my sister uh, a bit. So we didn't play a lot. We did play, though. And we played... Uh, what did we play? We played the bullet uh, with my grandmother as well. Uh, we good old uh, classic card game um, with uh, my sister we did it as well because it's a four people so mother father myself and then either my sister or my grandmother uh, my sister lent us uh, her copy of micro macro crime city that we're going to mention uh, just after so we played it with my parents she wasn't there uh, at the, as this was the early days of the holidays and then with my parents we also played uh, the game that I got them for Father's and Mother's Day which is Codex Naturalis and 
as always, they had messed up something in the rules and I had to correct it. <laughs> so... You know, Codex Naturalis, it's uh, a lot cool. You, you can cover uh, the rules. It's, it's great. You can cover cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was fun. But we had to explain my dad, I think, f at least five times that if there isn't a <laughs> corner on your card, you cannot put it. You cannot put another card on it, even if it does have a corner. No, no, no. You put no corner on a corner, but you can't put a corner on no corner. Woo! That was complicated, but uh, after a while he, he, he understood and we and it, and it was fine. I think my boyfriend won. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. It it sounds like uh, sure, like like you have been uh, Tom like for two days. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And oh, I, I, I did a. I, I mean, it's not really a board game, but I did a biking session with my parents, and I can say that electrical bikes are fun. And, and that's all for me. Uh, fun. Do you have anything to say about your time? Oh well, yeah. Um, currently, uh, the house is in the middle of a building site because we are. We've refurbished the conservatory. I think I talked about that before, but it's been repainted now, and we have to sort out all the um, all the furniture. The birds are moving in there because they're not very happy where they are right now. Um, I had a chance to play quite a few board games because we live on Gotland, so that's Sweden's holiday destination, which means all the family come over um, and visit. Uh, so we got to play. We played Castell. Um, which is a, there's, there'll be a review from me out on Board Game Geek uh, by the time this podcast goes live. That's about uh, building castells, human towers in Catalonia. It's a really fantastic game, um, super interesting. I've heard and a then, lot of good of, uh, about it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it. Not only is it an interesting sporting Euro, but the theme is just absolutely integral to the gameplay, and it shows a lot of, a lot of respect. Um, it's by an American who lives in Germany. His name's Aaron. I can't remember his surname right now. I want to. Is I want to say Beck, but that may be his username on Board Game Geek. Um, but he is his first ever design, and it's fantastic. Um, and we also played Meeple Circus as well, which is again building towers but dexterity based with lots yeah. of fun. Meeple Circus is fun. <laughs> yeah, it it is a lot of fun. Um, it absolutely. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my father-in-law played with the one-handed version, and you could see his 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 other hand kept trying to creep in. And, uh, to get involved until I told him, look, stick it under the table, stop it. <laughs> yeah, and try to stack that kind of camel meeple. Cuff yourself to the table. Yep, yep. Um, and also tonight we're going to play Shablam, which is also from the designer of Castel. I think I might be talking about that in the next podcast. It is a drag race inspired lip sync competition game for two to four players. That sounds really interesting. I've uh, I've also been uh, looking at it for a while, so I I think that seems like a fun game. Yeah, I I contacted Aaron over Board Game Geek. He was really nice. He said, "Here's the rules. I've just updated the mod, so I'm going to play it tonight with a bunch of huge drag race fans." Um, nice. I'm just a I'm just a passive watcher and critic of when it comes to drag race. 
Um, and then uh, we played a bit of Dream Crush, which is every bit as amazing as you can imagine it is, but you do want a large group of people, and some coffee traders, which I might talk about in the future. It's a really heavy, crunchy Euro. So that's been um, great. I forgot something! Yeah, I'm planning my wedding for the uh, Christmas holidays, and I said to my step-family, who is taking care of all the decorations, that I wanted meeple-shaped stuff. You'll have to send pictures of the cake. I mean, you, you might think it's not very important, but uh, it's in theme of the podcast. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, another wedding, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> this, this, that's, that's you know, congratulations again, and that's going to... I'm looking forward to hearing about that. That's a fun theme for a wedding, definitely. No, it's not the theme of the wedding. I just want some meeples. Sub-theme, then? Yeah, sub-theme. The tables. <laughs> you, use the meeples to make the tableau. <laughs> and um, Alexis? Yeah. Uh, on my end, not too many board games. Uh, the best thing that happened to me in the past uh, weekish is that I got a, de a dehydrator and I've started making my own beef jerky, and it's absolutely delicious. Uh, it's it's pretty great as a as a snack, a little homemade beef jerky. Outside of that, I've not played that many things, um, but. Uh, I've been sinking a lot of hours recently into a game that I think is very board game related. It's a Wilder Myth. Uh, they just popped out a new update and I, I decided to go back into it. And it's such a good game. I think that anybody that likes XCOM-like games or narrative-driven RPG, uh, roguelike RPGs should um, have a look at it because it is such a fun game. Um, since we're not a uh, video game podcast, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's it's just this really interesting tactical game where every decision that you're going to make during the, the story will have um, things that happen on your character and through the stories, they're going to grow and, and gain new power because of what happens. So for example, if you flee a combat, your character might uh, get hurt in the during the, the wave. They might lose a limb or something, but instead of being something that makes them less strong, it's usually going to be uh, to give them a different use. For example, if you have a character that loses an arm, uh, they might have uh, a hook arm instead. And so they can't use two-handed weapons, but they now have this new attack that can blind targets by using the, the hook. Uh, and just such a, so many different little ways that make your character interesting. Like during a quest, you might gain wings and through the story later, you might start turning into a weird hybrid crow or something. It's, it's a really good game. And uh, also in two days, a game that I've been waiting for seven years comes out. So I'm really excited. It's called 12 Minutes and it's a story about a 12 minute time loop. And it's voiced by Willem Dafoe. Uh, it's probably going to be one of the best game of the year. So I'm really excited about it. Outside of that, not too much, uh, except that I've been uh, putting some uh, couple of hours back into Too Many Bones after playing with Fen and playing a uh, one game, uh, one solo game myself. Uh, so I can talk about that um, unless someone like right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, jump into please, the topic. Uh, please, please that, that does mean <laughs> it's time to get the main topics rolling. So take it away. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I I I know that you were really into Wilder Myth Two fan. I think. Uh, I think that I saw it. I saw you mention it at one point. I it's my it, I rated it as my game of the year of twenty twenty when it came out in beta. Yeah, well, it, it definitely so. deserved it. So, but but I figured it, it was there, there was a break in the flow of the podcast. <laughs> it was time to move on, so we yes. can just just. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, as I was going to say, it's time to get the main topics rolling with a look at Too Many Bones. So take it away, Alexis. Uh, speaking of rolling, uh, Too Many Bones is a game by Chip Terry uh, that came out in 2017. And it's been very popular in the... Um, I, want, I want to to say the uh, more expensive sides of gaming. Like, I, it, it's... It was pretty popular alongside uh, Descent, um, Kingdom Death, uh, what's the name, um, Gloomhaven. I, I, it, it kind of, uh, it, it's kind of the, on the lower end of that that range of games, um, and it had a few expansions since then. Uh, the game mixes different mechanics, but I would say its core focus is die dice pool building. Um, so the way it plays, too many bones is divided into two phases. First, you have the map phase where your player will draw adventure cards that will have a little story in it from a deck that will describe a step in their journey and give them two options. Uh, some of them leading to battles, other leading to little mini games. And usually you have different rewards for the two options and the players will together decide to uh, which option to pick. Uh, the second phase of combat uh, happens on a grid of 4x4, where the players will maneuver around enemies and use their skills to defeat them. Uh, those skills are the most important features of the game. Each character comes with a neoprene mat with indents that represent their skills, and when they gain skill points, they'll pick dice that will fit those indents. And each die will have different faces and the game is all about setting up combos with those dice. So for example, you might have a die that will pull enemies towards you, another one that will uh, allow you to shoot multiple enemies, another one that will, uh, I don't know, power up your uh, rigged up mechanical drone. Um, every character is very different and every class is very interesting. Uh, as with most uh, chip theory game, uh, the physical component of the game are really stellar. Um, they have thick, heavy poker ships that represent the players, the minion, and their enemies, uh, as well as their life points. The dice are very sharply cut and they have nice iconography. The mats all have that disgusting neoprene stench, but otherwise they are thick and well printed. <laughs> um, it's a very big box that comes at around 150 euros with 10 or so bosses to fight. And in my opinion, that's where the game kind of lacks a little bit. Um, I enjoyed the gameplay a lot, but I think that it suffers from a little bit of a lack of content. The base game comes with only four characters and the boss that you fight uh, don't really change the gameplay that, that much as they offer a lot of um, just different pools of enemies uh, and then their own boss fights. Um, and also you'll encounter the same adventure card again and again. And so I've heard a lot of good from some of the expansion that really allow you to, to expand on that, uh, specifically Undertow. And I think that there was another one that's just uh, makes the start of the game a lot more interesting and diverse and adds uh, new types of monsters 
And I think that if you have a couple of new characters and one expansion, the game uh, really benefits from it. Um, so yeah, uh, Too Many Bones is, is actually uh, a lot of fun, very engaging, and the, the way that the, the skill and dice system functions is pretty nice. Uh, and I played it with Fen recently, um, and I know that Fen played uh, Undertow, which is the, the specifically uh, two-player expansion. Um, yeah. 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 So I have, I have the main game of Too Many Bones. I have the Lab Rats characters, which is four separate gear locks in one. They all have their own separate tiny little grid um, and gasket. But yeah, Undertow takes place after the story of Too Many Bones. I don't know if you've recall or played against her, but Duster is one of the tyrants in Too Many Bones, and she's a gearlock. Um, she's kind of, like, not actually that bad, and she feels like she's been framed and set up, so Undertow's, like, plotting is Stanza and um, Duster going together up the river and looking to clear, um, clear Duster's name and find out what's going on with the council. It has a double-sided board, so you will fight either on a raft or on land. In the raft, there's these unique water enemies that crop up on the side. On land, there's these unique mechs. There's uh, also a lot more added to it in that there's obstacles to smash, um, mini objectives during fights, and uh, there's a whole campaign series, which I've not had a chance to play properly through yet. I've only just been able to play a few of the standalone tyrants because um, I've not had Undertow for a super long time, unfortunately. It arrived, like, a few weeks ago. Um, Duster's very interesting. She's an assassin with a pet, and unlike... What's his name? The, um... Gilly. Unlike Gilly, um, Duster's pet actually goes on the board and has a... Yeah, it is. Um, it's... I think her name's Nightshade, and she's, like, a pink tiger... And then Stanza is a bard um, with one of my favourite five cost bones plans, which are basically when you roll a bones, the name, which is a result on the dice from the name Too Many Bones, you can add it to your little bones like backup plan, I think it's called. Um, and Stanza's top one is that she smashes her loot over someone and loses all of her ability to play for the loot for the rest of the fight because she's broken it and she needs to fix it, but deals a ton of damage. It's a... Uh, it's quite fun. Um, Undertow's designed for two players, but will play more if you add expansion characters in or you have the main game. Um, it has some very interesting bosses. There's one which is a kraken. He's called Barnacle. He has he has his own little tendrils. It plays like the uh, the classic fight from Sea of Blood from Descent, in that there's a central piece head and then a bunch of roving extra tentacles to, to deal with uh there's also yeah it's pretty fun um there's also an automaton boss who belongs to another character and there's a really cool wrinkle with that that i'm not going to give away here because it's like a bit of a campaign plot spoiler but when i found out about it, i was like oh that's really cool so um i i'm gonna say i'm gonna jump in here for my part and i'm gonna say if you're gonna get too many bones i think undertow despite being slightly more complex, might be the best place to start because it's a lower price point and it's got more going on. It's it's more complex, but in a good way. Yeah, I that's also what I've heard. And from having played only too many bones, I can say that definitely 
I wouldn't recommend it on its own. Um, it has too many little gripes that I have with it. I think it's fun, but for 150 euros, I would expect more than fun. Uh, I think that I played it once with Audrey. Uh, but, yes, uh, and didn't I didn't really... like the yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the... Uh, I, I, it's been two years and a lot yeah. has happened since then, so my memory might be a bit fuzzy, honestly. Uh, I remember that I did like the dice pool building mechanics and uh, slotting the dice in the new print match. I liked that id and uh, i think it's pretty unique and uh in my opinion yeah that's something that's really working for the game and uh, a good point is that you really have that mechanic which is uh pretty unique but then i didn't really like uh the fight how it happened i don't remember uh exactly the, the details of it but i remember being puzzled at how the enemies moved uh how you moved their chips on the neoprene mat and it didn't feel interesting for me yeah actually a common gripe of the first version was that the tactical movement board was kind of useless I, I actually beg to differ a bit because uh, I like how the game uh, the game uh, uses space. Uh, I, I have to say I only played the 2017 possibly 2017 version of Too Many Bonds, the original one. So it, it is like Alexis said, uh, it has a bit of imperfection, especially on the strategic part. But we will go on that later. Uh, I have to say that I liked how the, the, the table space is used. It's a game uh, v very compact. It can stay on a small table and you can still play and make significant moves on, on it. Yeah, that is, that is true. That's um, one of the fun aspects of the game. It's, the, the, it's a lot smaller than you would assume given the, um, uh, the scope of it. I... I think that the game is good. Like, I think that there's a lot of good ideas, so I don't want to be too negative about it. But um, it, it has some weird limitation in the way that it plays. For example, when you use a, uh, one of your skill dice, it's usually only a one use per battle. And since it's a, it's a die, it's very often that you will just have a dud. And instead of being able to cancel it or ignore it and roll it again uh, at another turn you just it's just wasted and since the game is usually pretty pretty short like through a campaign you're going to have like um five to ten fights i think for the the longest one um sometimes you'll get a strong skill towards the end of the game and you'll roll it twice and uh, it might not even be useful uh, the two times, especially since there's like there's a lot of um, monsters that will have uh, abilities that can cancel out uh, your skills. Um, which I don't know. Like sometimes there's just moments when you look at an uh, a monster's abilities and you just feel like the 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 fight is. You not geared towards your, your monsters. You, There's, um... you know, you, you kind of hit the nail in the head. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the best part of this game is the dice mechanics because building, far, yeah. Your, yeah, building your bag, building your dice pool is the best thing of the game. 
and you can uh, it's really strategic i mean uh, th that you have long-term consequences for what you do and uh, the, the bonds mechanic is a way to to never completely waste roll, which is a thing uh, that 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 you always have in this kind of games when you roll bad you are frustrated and this game basically uh, as a way to fix that but it does it better in expansions because i have to say this this game is probably the original version at least it's a style to new players because uh, you have to know a bit how to build your character otherwise you you'll get an expensive skill you will never roll it and you're just accumulating bones turn after turn and that's the a bit uh, of putting part let's say yeah, it's definitely a bit of a, a an issue with the core game. I found my biggest problem, and this is a complaint I have about a lot of games, is if you release a core game and you say, this will play four players, don't just have four characters, have six. You've got to give people some options and choice because otherwise everyone might be like, I'm not very happy with, with any of these characters. Um, I don't really want to play. And a big part of Too Many Bones is you have to like the character. I, I don't really enjoy most of the core game characters outside of Boomer. Um, and I most of my favourites are in the expansions. I, I really love Nugget. I love Gasket. Uh, the Lab Rats are immense fun. Uh, Stanza is amazing fun. Just a really silly character. Yeah. Um, Gilly is great too. G Gilly's very strong and fun. And it does feel like, again, this is a game where the more that they've designed... The, the better they've got at refining the good parts of everything. Like, the interesting thing in Undertow is there's an ongoing campaign, so you can have your skills start to matter because you're building for this story up, these beats, not just one tyrant, but here we go, here we go, let's follow the story of why, why Duster was in a situation of being thought to be a tyrant from the start, what's going on? And that's a nice, nice touch. I will say, though... One of the things really frustrating me the first time I played Undertow is you you have random day one and day two, and they're from four different options. There's a fight in each one. It's really awful if you hit the fight on day one and the fight on day two. It's it's exhausting and it's tough because there, there's objectives on the day one fight where you've got to destroy two planks of wood, otherwise mechs and their three-point enemies, mechs start piling onto the board. And that's quite hard with two players to get those obstacles smashed because they have two health each and the attack dice on both Duster and on Stanza, is, they only have one attack dice to start with. So you, you, and you can't deploy Nightshade immediately. Um, Duster has to be wounded before Nightshade goes on the board. So a little rough on the start, but the, the campaign progress on that is, is great. Yeah. I, I can imagine. That sounds like they went for something a lot more narratively interesting. Um, that's also something that I wanted to to touch about, is that the game is, uh, at least the, the base game, uh, is planned for four players, but it's supposed to be playable with less. And the problem is that I think that the balance of that is not super great, um, because having one less player on the board even if you lower the difficulties of the enemies that come in, uh, you still have a lot less action per turn and maneuverability. And some enemies feel uh, hardy, hardly uh, balanced for that. That's why uh, Undertow also got a lot of praise because first of all, uh, it's planned for two players from the start, which um, 
means that they will they they thought about that uh, a lot more. Uh, I've not played it, but that's what I've heard, and I think that Fen will confirm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's balanced for two players. It also has its own separate solo adventure deck. So if you play with one one gear lock, yeah, then it's different events. I think that's also the issue that we had as we were playing. That that is definitely the issue that we had. Uh, we played it with three players, and the problem is that with three players, we hit different. Um, breakpoints with the the enemies the way that they they play it uh without going into details is that you have different pool of enemies that have different uh, numbers one five and twenty and in undertow they added three point baddies i think yeah which is really smart because the problem is that um if you if you have to fight you calculate the numbers in a specific way by by multiplicating the number of player by by the the day that you are on and the thing is that uh if you have a fight to fight uh a fight against a monster 20 it's just going to be one monster 20 if there's four player it goes extremely fast unless you fall on the to one of the the really hard one but usually they are manageable with just with two or three players um, and very easy with four. Uh, the problem is that if you are three players, instead of having a number 20, you are going to have, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, 18. And 18 is going to be three number five and three number one. And the problem is that that's a lot harder than just 120. And that's that's the, the general problem of the games, that often you're going to find yourself against uh, fights that feel a bit unbalanced. Um, and I think that they did a better job in Undertow. Adding a three-point monster is also more interesting because um, it avoids having just a crowded mat because if you have uh, four level ones on a on a mat, they can quickly crowd the one or two players. It's, it's just, in general, um, better thought out. So Undertow is pretty good on that end. Yeah, actually, uh, there's uh, there's another thing uh, which has to be mentioned that the game is kind of a bit fiddly to learn. I mean, you get your character mat. It is uh, uh, like an A4 sheet, uh, full, 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 full of text. So you can you can uh, either. Uh, try to learn everything and inevitably remember remember uh, misremember something or you can uh, try to learn as you play and that part is not as incremental and one would because you always forget the tale which will which would have uh, changed the outcome of the scenario so uh, that is a bit complex but like i said i think that the 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 weakest point of the game is just that it's difficult to get in. Once you're in, uh, this game is beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's a, it's a cheap theory game. Actually, they are beautiful. Uh, I, 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 just I, take as... care, just take care because it's a cheap theory game. Not a yeah, cheap yeah. theory game. No, not, not cheap, no. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which... Um... I, I on the that uh, I think it's worth mentioning that almost everything in this game is waterproof, which is kind of funny. Even the cards are plastic cards. I think the rulebook and the box of paper, and that's it. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I, I was impressed with the quality of the things. Even the printing on the dice felt uh, quality. And that, that, that's a very good point on the game. Uh, the neoprene material, I mean, you, you, if you uh, spread water on it, or not water, but a drink, you can uh, clean it uh, easily. That, that's a very good point for durability of the that, game. That's kind of a mainstay of our chip tier game. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, I I was I used to be a kind of a poker chip collector myself. I have to say that the chips are beautiful. I I I, Nearly. I have always been I have always been a miniature guy, but I have to say I will always play a chip theory game. Actually, I'm more from Cloud Spire than this, but I have to say chip theory games are beautiful and chips are super cool. They but... certainly have a gimmick, but I I just wanted to say. The health chips are way worse in quality than all the rest of the chips. Yes. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. awful in comparison. Well, yeah. then you can spend more money to get uh, the actual good quality health chip. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I have to say, I think that Roxley Games uh, made a Kickstarter for something, some poker chips uh, which are beautiful, like one hundred of them, two hundred of them. I, I don't remember the name, like uh, clay something. Uh, anyway, Roxley Games uh, sells poker chips, uh, which are high quality, but they are nothing compared to the stuff from Chip Theory Games. But, cool. but in my opinion, all these materials, the neoprene and the chips, uh, which make the game uh, expensive. I mean, uh, compared to if you took the same game with tokens and uh, cardboard uh, boards for the players, you it could would make be it much. Less, yeah, it would be that. much less expensive and. Even though you feel that the durability is here, when we are in um, a time when people don't really play much of their games, I mean, it's known that uh, in, in general, of course, you always have these one or two favorite games that you play a lot, a lot, a lot. But I don't, I'm not sure uh, enough people play these uh, chip, the, the, the chip theory games in general enough to make the price and the quality component uh, worth it. I'm not sure about that. And that's a reason, uh, well, not uh, really liking too many bones was the main reason, but uh, that would also be a reason why I wouldn't consider buying a game, because I think that for the same price, I can get more gaming experience out of maybe two other games. I was going to say, it's definitely expensive and it's definitely not super environmentally friendly either. Um, I, I do think there are, this is a lifestyle game for some people though. Uh, I think there, there there's a, quite a few people who go, I don't need any more games. I've got too many bones now, which that's great for them if they enjoy this. Yeah, yeah there's also the fact that actually if you just have the, the base game, you can go only so much in the game you have to buy expansions that, that that's a thing with other chip theory games i'm thinking of cloud spire where you want to get more factions to play so uh, actually it's not just the game it's uh, everything about the game <laughs> um just to to finish building on what uh, alessio was saying um just before on the, the character taking time to learn that's definitely uh, something that can get in the way. For example, I played Gasket, I think, when we played with Fen. Um, and 
I spent a good 10 minutes reading my uh, <laughs> my character sheet trying to understand exactly how the abilities function because everything it was, it was, was different. It was Tink. It was Gaskets tink. the Mech. Oh, yeah, Gaskets <laughs> the Mech. That's true. Uh, it was Tink, the, the character that creates uh, uh, mecha drones onto the battlefield. And it, it's very... I think it's one of the... Uh, the attractive aspect of the game is that each each character really plays differently and you you really have are going to have um an asymmetric gameplay with the different character and that's where the game thrive in the the combos that you can make in between the, the different uh character class that you can you can get into the game because if you play a game with well uh tank gasket and gilly it's going to be a very different game if you play it with uh let's say gilly picket and uh boomer for example it's the game really finds more replayability there and that's that's where it um it works best i think but yeah, yeah. that's um that was too many bones um i think it's a i think it's interesting game and if you go with undertow uh from what i've heard and from what friend, friend said uh it's a great game um but it definitely takes some space onto the uh onto your uh table and budget uh, and budget, and uh, that's why uh, maybe you'll be more interested with a with a game that's uh, tiny and cheap. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, well played. <laughs> we're gonna go from throwing the bones all the way to skeletons hidden in the closet. Alessio, do tell us all about <laughs> yeah. micro macro crime city. Oh yeah, I'll talk about micro macro crime city, which is actually uh, the spiel the spiel des Jahres for this year. So well, everybody knows about it. But I think we said me... three times. So yeah, yeah, but I wasn't there, so it's not important. And, and that episode <laughs> never came out. So yeah, uh, people need to know. So. Uh, yeah. This, this is basically a, a deduction game, uh, although deduction is not exactly the word I'd use, but we will go there. Um, it's a game when, where you have a visual, a visual puzzle in the form of a big, big map in black and white. You basically decide to crack a case, which is a crime happened in the aforementioned crime city, a place where a lot of crimes of every kind will get perpetrated at every second of every waking hour, and not just every waking hour. And uh, you basically have cards guiding you through the case and uh, asking questions you need to answer in progression to crack the case. Uh, basically, it plays like a solo game that you can play with others. Uh, it's actually a game which uh, allows for multiple players to be there because you have basically to find clues on the map, uh, to find happenings of the map, and that's a cool part I will talk about uh, in just a second. Uh, multiplayer involvement in this game is uh, actually not dissimilar to what you would play multiplayer in an escape room game like Exit, okay, or just unlock or something like that. You just reason all together and find clues together. Yeah, I, I'd say this one, um, because of the map and because of like everything, I found it best actually at one or two players. Uh, more players, it just kind of tends to get a bit messy around the table and hard to find everything. All uh, those extra micro, extra micro, magnifying glasses do help. 
Yes. We've, yeah. we've, with my parents, we were four players, which was <laughs> enough to dedicate one player to reading the case. Yeah. A kind of I, DM. To, to li- add a little bit on that, there's like a few cases that have um, splitting branches when you need to find different things. And those are really fun with multiple players. Um, and I think that later, if they do expansion or more game like um, Full House, if they do cases that specifically branches out, uh, they could be very interesting to play with. Uh, yeah, yeah, players. exactly. The, the, the game is so smart. So the, the 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 beautiful thing of this game is just that the map is actually uh, evolving through time. I mean, you get uh, you get to a picture in the map, and that's a, a citizen like Mr. Cat doing business doing his business uh, you go through the map in the direction where mr cat is walking and you find uh, mr cat dead uh, that, that that's actually something that happened it's like a visual novel that you have to to move it's like a comic book without uh, the actual speech balloons it uh, uh, i was uh, uh, defining it like he, he playing this game feels a lot like reading gone from masashi tanaka uh, uh, which is that manga with the baby dinosaur where <laughs> there's no speech balloon and stuff happens you uh, your deduction in this game is basically deducting what happened between panels and you have no panels in the game <laughs> so uh basically uh this is uh, this, this game is very smart it's uh, great and also it's a deduction game when you have to find evidence this is uh i was going to say that this game is a game like sherlock Holmes consulting detective is a game i like a lot of deduction games i have three of the i think four boxes of social of sherlock Holmes consulting detective i like the game but i have to say Sometimes in Sherlock Holmes, the deductions are far-fetched. I'll always remember, and sometimes a lot. I I always uh, I'll always remember when you had to guess that the victim was hypnotized, and I won't say anything else because I don't remember the box where I mean, it is from. That's just like in the novels. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, any, anyway, anyway... But I don't read the novels! You spoiled it for me! Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, not the, trying... To... The far-fetched aspect, I meant. No, no, I, I'm saying this so, so badly that it cannot be a spoiler. So, uh, it's just that in Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, you are required to, to make a jump with your deduction, which is basically arbitrary. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just want to, like, chime in on that, and... Like, there's a whole bunch of different games within this genre. I think Crime uh, Crime City is like your nice introduction to this. Um, and Chronicles of Crime is very good. And my favourite of them is the most game-like uh, Detective City of Angels. But Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective has this wrinkle of... First of all, Sherlock Holmes' way it's worded is to make you feel like Dr. Watson. As in, you feel like an idiot when he explains what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Some I remember okay you already that. mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is, yeah. It's a, it's the biggest negative on the game. But the other thing is, if you sit and you follow through what how Sherlock Holmes deduces everything, he is able to make incredible leaps of deduction, obviously, Sherlock Holmes. But he's also always lucky. Wherever he goes, the person is always there. 
and and we've had cases where we've tried to find someone and we've gone to two three places where they thought they might be and then then they turn out to be somewhere else that we knew of but we didn't know they'd be there and that's that's frustrating itself what i like about this is when you solve a case micro macro crime city makes you feel smart for solving it which is nice yeah, actually, that's it. The, the, the good thing about Micro Macro is that you actually uh, get evidence for the stuff that's happening. You are not just satisfied with guessing what happened. You have to find evidence of that. And that's super cool. The bad part of this is sometimes even the, the, the most difficult cases in the 16... Uh, cases box the the questions are basically guiding you through the answer so uh, basically uh, you could be smarter uh, you could guess stuff uh, earlier but you have to follow the cards so are you you are guided anyway to to the solution which is fine by itself but it's a bit limiting like fan yeah. said it's an introduction yes it it happened to us a couple of times when we we played the game uh going through the the, the cards well, well turning over a card and then looking at the board for like five minutes and finding maybe the next two steps in the case as we just look through through things and we're like oh this this might be this and then when we turn the cards the question was had already been answered i'd say it's not too big of a problem i would i would say like when you start a case like investigate it truly and try to first find as much as you can about it and then go through the cards and see if you can find more about it for example um there's a there's one case about someone having been uh, killed by a bow uh and i i would recommend people to like just start the case and not even look through the cards, but uh, examine the, the the place where that person was killed and then try to work it out by yourself. And you might even be able to uh, finish the case without turning over the cards. And whenever you don't, you feel like you don't know what you're looking for when you are stuck, then you can go back to the cards. I think that works best. Um, like the first card is always interesting as a way to know where to start but then then just try to do it by yourself because the game is is really smart and the, the map is beautiful and sometimes while looking looking at another case you might get clues onto uh, one that you'll do later um i think it's a i think it's a great game on that end i was definitely shocked by the fact that the game looks so nice and friendly and and kid uh like kid friendly and actually there's a, a lot of murders and oh, uh, stuff gets very dark. very gruesome case here and there yeah um a, a character is getting um uh blackmailed for for being an homosexual by uh another character that's some type of weird bigot but it, it's just it's really weird in in some places uh I, I think that's enduring, but I would also say um, maybe look through the case. Th thank playing it with your yeah. kids. Yeah, thankfully I got you covered here. So uh, mm -hmm. a bit of the content treated here. Missing people, road rage, homosexuality, murder in various forms, implied blackmail, implied extortion, BDSM, secret societies, bigotry, like in religious bigotry, but uh, religion is never explicitly mentioned, violence, bullying, black market, and muggery. So, Gangs! <laughs> and? Gangs! 
Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the, the the game has a lot of dark content, which is not not all cases are appropriated for kids, and uh, this is not properly uh, highlighted in the box of the game, at least in the first edition of the game. But the if you go to the publisher website, you get uh, um, you. Uh, <laughs> You get a very, uh, a very informative uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, chart uh, detailing the difficulty and the age appropriateness of each case, which uh, in hindsight should be in the core game box. But it's a cool thing to know that exists. Yeah. I was just going to say, even though they're doing that, you can still have, like, if you've played this with the younger players, they're going to see stuff on the map that they're going to have questions about. Yep. So it's 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 tough. I don't... Yeah, this is hard I, to... I would say this is yeah. a game for, like, 14 plus, 14, 15. It's probably yeah. more appropriate at that age. Um, rather than, you know, don't don't play that with your 10-year-old. Yeah, because you since the visual puzzle is there, you can always have your sight uh, drop uh, on something you shouldn't if you're playing with kids. So that's it. Or uh, if you do play with your kids, be prepared to answer some weird questions. <laughs> Sorry. In, in, the, in the meantime, uh, Fan is posting uh, pictures of uh, F8 crimes <laughs> in the map. <laughs> so, uh, neither of these crimes I'm particularly thrilled about. Yeah. <laughs> There's also implied rape in uh, in the list of cases uh, I didn't mention. So And and I think if you look on the map there are some crimes that you see but we with you do, you don't have cases related to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those are supposed to be um like uh how do you, how do you call that again? Uh, red red herrings. No. Red, red, red herrings. Red herring, herring, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um Anyway, uh, all of this has been taken into account because this game is getting a sequel. I think it's due by the end of the year, uh, Container Crisis and other stuff uh, allowing it. And the cardboard uh, uh, <laughs> supply issues. And uh, the, the new form of uh, bi biblical plague, uh, which will eat us uh, in the end of the year. Anyway, <laughs> there will be, it's uh, in the works, actually, almost complete uh, sequel, a sequel to this game, which is called Micro Macro Crime City Full House, uh, which is uh, basically not just uh, more of the same, but it promises to deliver a scaling experience with a multiplayer and uh, a differentiation, and uh, we will see how it's done, uh, for uh, uh, for kids, basically, you will have uh, age-appropriate cases uh, for a lot of age ranges. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see where it goes. It's uh, you can see why it's it won its awards. It's a pretty um, interesting game. It's a unique spin on an existing genre, which is always a good thing to take some previous mechanics, reiterate them, and make it different. I mean, visual. So that's uh, pretty fascinating. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's colorblind friendly, it's dyslexia friendly, so it, it's, it has a lot of good things going for it with a simple yet very smart mechanic. This is a game one should try, if not at least have, uh, but it's a thing that uh, uh, will give a unique perspective to this kind of deduction games. Uh, this is an introduction uh, game and very, very fine. Um, one thing that I will also uh, say about about this uh, is that the price point is uh, 20 euros um, when it was available. Uh, right now, there's, there's a shortage of the game because it uh, won so many awards. And I think that's great. That's, that's just what I would want from a game like this because there's only 16 cases in the, the base game. And I think you, you can download a few more. Okay. Uh, you, you I'm can not go... sure about it. You can go through the um, uh, through the cases pretty quickly, uh, and 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 once you go you went through them, well, the game is probably not going to be played much more until you have other friends around or uh, until some time passes. Uh, but at twenty euros, I think that's perfectly fine. It's like a, the price of uh, a couple of uh, cinema tickets. I think that's that's a good price point i would it not... doesn't make two movie tickets where i live <laughs> it's less than two movie tickets no uh, I actually i have to say that the price point is uh, spot on i would have uh, probably spent less on cards since they are not that important except uh, for flipping and I would have used the money to make a real magnifying glass because the, the refracting lenses are smart, but they are terrible to look at big stuff. Yeah. Well, at 20 euros, you're not really wasting yeah. much money. And it does take more space on the table than too many bones, even though it takes way less shelf yes. space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a table eater for sure. But uh, we get to talk about now one that isn't. I just have to kind of push things on, I'm afraid, because uh, we got to go and put away those spy glasses and get back to the ivories. So, Audrey, do tell us all about this small, light-hearted card and dice game called One Deck Dungeon. Yes, One Deck Dungeon is a card game for one to two players, uh, designed by Chris Cheslik uh, and published by Asmadi Games. Uh, the game is, as its name says, a dungeon that's built from one deck. You have one deck of cards, a few extra large cards for the character sheets, and that's it. You have everything you need to play. That a few, a few tokens, of course, and a nice uh, stack of dice. But the dungeon itself is built in a deck of cards. So the idea is that it's a game for one to two players. But the idea is mostly to play it with two players. That's a bit more fun. And you pick each player picks a character sheet so you will have the classic tropes of uh, fantasy dungeons except that all the characters are ladies they are all fighting ladies you won't find any fighting guy in this game some enemies are guys but not the, the protagonists so each player picks one finds the different statistics, get the dice corresponding to the statistics. So the dice have colors corresponding to the statistics. You have the yellow dice for the strength, uh, the blue for the intelligence uh, arcana, and the, ye- the oops, pink for agility, dexterity. And there are black dice, which are uh, special dice. 
you constitute your pool based on the number of symbols of each color that are on the character uh, sheet and you are ready to explore the dungeon. How do dungeons play? You take four of the cards of the dungeon, put them together and at a time you will turn one to see what's hiding behind because the back of the cards are doors so you will open the door. Every time you open a door you discard two cards that remain in the pile uh, of the dungeon. Every time you set up uh, the, the, the doors, maybe, I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, that's how you have a time um, mechanics, which says that you will exhaust the pile and not go through every single card, which is the thing that makes every single dungeon a bit unique. In order, of course, you will encounter monsters of level 1, monsters of level 2, monsters of level 3. When you turn the cards, the cards will, will have a few different things. The name of the monster, uh, a symbol to say if the monster is a trap or uh, a monster, um, and different squares with colors which correspond to the dice colors with numbers inside and symbols. Then you will roll the dice and you have to cover the squares with dice that have a number higher than what's written. So for instance, if you have a square we, which is yellow and which has five, you, you must put a yellow dice which has five or six as value on it to vanquish this uh, monster of his trap ability. On each square, there are a few symbols which are um, a hourglass or a heart. If uh, one square isn't covered, you will suffer from this. So the hearts, which are when a character takes wounds, and the hourglass, which is when you discard cards from the dungeon pile. So it means basically that you're taking too much time to fight the monster that uh, you can't make it to the end of the dungeon, basically. And so always there is this element of what can we do, uh, what can we cover, How? Do, which penalties do we suffer, because sometimes you will have one dice and you will be able to put it into two different squares, so oh, which square do we select? You can use uh, the abilities of the characters, they all have uh, two different abilities, and they, with these abilities you can help your friend re-roll a dice, get a black extra dice, you can also combine two of your dice, for example, a pink free and uh, a blue four to make a black free and the black you can be put into any square. And so you will have lots of combos. Once a monster is killed, you have three different choices of what to do with it. Uh, use it to get XP, which will help you uh, get higher level. With a higher level, you can get more skills, you can get more uh, uh, stats. The second possibility is to use the monster card to increase your skills or your stats because they have all each single monster has some stats symbols and a skill. So once you are level two, when you well you start level one, you have the ability to add a second uh, extra skill 
under your character and a second extra start extra start uh, card under your character so you you have to choose every single time a monster is skill what to do with it because at some point every single character will have one one stat card and one skill card so you will put the monsters for xp but at the start you might say mm, i like this skill but i also like the stats so what do i do and as so not two runs uh, are really the same there, there is always something different to do and that, that, that's something that is very interesting because uh, uh, as Micro Micro Crime City, it's a game which has uh, a small price point and you can get very good mileage uh, out of it. And that's not even counting the expansion because that's another spending uh, moment, but you get more mileage again. And I think that's something that's really interesting is that, yeah, you, you can do really um, very different experiences and the setup of the game is pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um I got to say, this is one of the games I own twice. I own um, all of the physical stuff and I own all of it again as the app because this is such a good, like, idle time game for when I'm waiting for things to dry or whatever. I can just pop on and do a quick run. And this is a great game for taking on holidays so small um i also wanted to say i love this so much the artwork in this game is wonderful and every single character is like a appropriately adventuring dressed yeah yes. love it so good yeah so unfortunately good. Uh, rare yeah very very rare uh, all the characters are very positive very cool looking badass and i love the roguelike mechanics in this where when you complete a run you get a few pips you can put towards on a little character sheet and you can bring that same character out in the future and maybe unlock some new skills or stats for them and do harder and harder difficulty dungeons it's uh really interesting yeah it's it's a really fun game uh it's it's also really compact it's a perfect game to bring along when you are traveling uh i think that they they really nailed it um yeah. yeah, I heard that the concept of the game was uh, asked from the daughter of the creator. I don't know if it's a new band legend. I doubt a bit about it. I don't remember exactly. But uh, if that's the case, that's something great that we have uh, this kind of uh, game for to show and to say this is what we want to see. That's great to use as an example. Yeah. Yeah, I, I unabashedly love One Deck Dungeon and I adore how it gives you a really compact dungeon crawling experience and scales the monsters in a very intelligent way as well. The variation for each dungeon, the way that the dungeon levels, um, the difficulty increase is printed on the back of the monster you're going to face at the end, the boss is super cool like you gradually rack things up and sometimes traps get harder, uh, sometimes monsters you know are the ones that get way harder. It's oh, it's it's wonderful, and all those skill combos from combining different characters together and the way they interact is interesting to learn. Yeah, I also liked um, if, uh, with uh, dungeons the time mechanics, which really says, oh, you you have a timer that's running, and if you open a door and say, mm, nope, we're not going there, you are losing time. Yeah. And even even if you go back to that door later, that time will still be lost. Yeah, and also on top of that, sometimes like when you encounter the traps, you have a choice of a harder check or with a higher punishment for failing or an easier check. But you have to spend extra time to do that check, which is yeah. really cool. 
Yeah, but, but that's a very cool mechanics, and I, I, it does feel really like uh, a dungeon. Like you have a DM which says, "Oh, okay, now you encounter this. What do you do?" And you have to say what you do. It feels a bit like that to me. Oh yeah, it feels like that to me as well, and uh, it also feels like an exceptional example of good compact design in every way. It's so so well done. Yeah, the cards are full with information, but you can't misread it. It's clear. It's and there's also uh, a conversion uh, on Android and PC that works extremely well. It's so easy to play. It just feels nice. Um, I would I would recommend anybody to if they don't pick the the board game version to pick the the Android or the PC version. It's on Switch as well. Uh, even more than. Woo. That's interesting, actually. <laughs> Pick your video uh, game version that you want, like, and have uh, support for. Have you played the expansion, by the way? Yeah, I have. Um, I've got all of the expansions. I've got the one that adds the Fiend, which is like a modifier monster that tracks you through the entire dungeon. A couple of extra characters, including a fairy. If she takes any damage, you lose the game. Um, she has some mechanics to counter that. Um, and then Forest of Shadows, which... Adds a whole bunch of extra characters, a new dungeon deck that you can either play by itself or mix with the original, and includes a poison mechanic, which works just as you'd expect poison to do. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's the same size box again. Um, I'm really happy that uh, everything fits with the cards sleeved up. Like there's, it's it's just they they thought very carefully about what to do with the design of these, and yeah, they're so. I I sometimes complain about board games selling you air. One Deck Dungeon doesn't sell you any air. They, they sell you nothing but sheer excitement and thrill and dice rolling. And sometimes it doesn't fit back in properly until you adjust everything. Yeah, I just checked the description in Board Game Geek for uh, One Deck Dungeon Forest of Shadows. The dice chucking Dungeon Delver gets poison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that poison really does change things quite a bit. It's, it's interesting. Okay, well, um, I think that takes us through One Deck Dungeon, and now we're going to go from those dark depths uh, and instead travel to behind the dark and drawn curtains of a very tense situation with Hostage Negotiator from Van Ryder Games. Now, um, I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while. Uh, it's just recently become the hottest thing and sold out entirely because Hostage Negotiator Korea came out. Um, this game is a solo player card game which also uses dice where you take the role of an American hostage negotiator dealing with an abductor and trying to save hostages. It's a very sleek production, very cleverly done. And um, what you're going to do is you set up your board, you have a abductor, there's three in the base game, three in Crime Wave and you can buy up to like 10 extras in other um, booster packs and uh, the each of the abductors will change the way the game feels so on your turn you'll play conversation cards from your hand you can play them to get the effect where you have to roll some dice these dice only have a one in three chance of success and then a, another result where you have to discard two cards to get a success so the odds are stacked against you per dice which is by design you're meant to sit down and get other cards and that's where the nice mechanic of conversation points come in so 
Sometimes your cards will score you conversation points by rolling the dice, or you can just discard some cards face down to get a conversation point. And you can save up for these other cards that you'll use once, and then you'll have to buy them again, but they will give you more powerful effects, like improve your chances of success, or maybe get the abductor to release a hostage, or even if you get far enough down to just get the abductor to stand down entirely, or you order a sniper to take the abductor out. Um, it is a very well done thematic game. The dice do a good job of making you feel like the situation isn't always in your control, which is, I've not myself been a hostage negotiator. I have done a lot of official interviews on behalf of a government. And sometimes you think the conversation's all fine and okay, and then suddenly the other person just goes off and you're like, whoa, I didn't know this was bubbling underneath. Okay, we've got a problem now. We need to deal with this. And the dice capture that wonderfully. Um, there are two versions of a core game that you can get. You can get the original Hostage Negotiator, um, and you, or you can get Crime Wave. Hostage Negotiator is cheaper. Crime Wave is better. And I will talk a little bit about that. But I think, Alexis, you've played one of these, haven't you? Yeah, uh, I played the base game, I think. The one that comes with three um, uh, three players. At the, do three uh, uh, hostage uh, taker at the start. It, it has a male negotiator. That's Mike. Yes, yes. Um, I, I played it a while ago because I, I was looking for a solo player game to at the start of the pandemic. Um, and I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was very interesting. What I liked is that um, while it kind of feel like a deck building game or like a pool building game, even though you reset your pool at every turn, um, what you really need to what's really important is that every uh every situation is more like a puzzle more than a, a deck building game because they every perp that you're going to to interact with uh i'm going to call them boss because it makes more sense uh in my head every boss that you interact with is going to have a different uh way to function and they each are going to have different uh, demands uh, that yeah, are randomly yeah. uh, driven. And the thing is that if you want to succeed, you are going to have to play with that. Some of them even have a special rule. Uh, I really liked one of the the last one from the, the, the box set that does not kill hostages. Yeah. You, unless... you mean, yeah, you mean Edward Quinn. Yeah. The, um, that's famously the one that Rado didn't want to go up against because he said he felt like the guy was like a good guy and he, he understood what, what he was doing. And people have said to Rado, maybe you should have played that scenario and seen how it played out because it's it's pretty interesting. It's uh, it, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I think that every one of them has like a very different way to approach them. And like, for example, uh, one of them wants gun. And if you give them give him gun, uh, every next uh, interaction is going to be a lot harder. But if you do it right before the, the last few hostages are taken out, you can use that to then, um, to then pay for, let's say, a sniper team to, to, to take him out just at that moment. And that, that's really fun and dense, and you always feel worried when rolling dice. 
it does feel like the dice uh, hated me through the uh, my entire run yeah, of the game. Yeah, that's the same um, impression I had. <laughs> that's yeah. the way they're designed. Yeah, you're not yeah, supposed yeah. to like rolling those dice. You're meant to feel like they're against you. Yeah, uh, they, they they are definitely. Uh, it's it's definitely a hard game, but it's a very fun and interesting one. And I was looking at uh, career because I'd love to play it. Um, and uh, and I'm glad that you're you're going to give us uh, your impression on it. Yeah, I am. So uh, first of all, I wanted to briefly touch on the uh, abductors in the two core games, and then on the extra packs, just to give you an idea, because some of them are essential for career, some of them are optional extras. Um, and there are some really, really good ones as well. Uh, so in, I'd say in the original hostage negotiator, that's the one that you have, Alexis. Um, the three hostage abductors are kind of, they're very much training you to learn how the system works. Um, Arcane, uh, Arcane Masu, um, is a, I believe a French Canadian terrorist, which is kind of unusual in itself, kind of a safe way to play a terrorist hey hey no no no, i was gonna say normally canada canadians aren't considered you know there's not terrorist problems in canada so which is why i just said there's there's a lot of stuff boiling below canadians (laughs) well it's also worth remembering that all of these are very inspired by the film idea of this and there is some relation to the real stuff it's obvious that aj Porfino did his research before creating this stuff but uh, you know tongue in cheek don't take it too seriously the second one's Donna who is a professor who's been passed over for tenure um, she's, she doesn't actually really want to kill anyone she's just kind of like gone a bit off you know like a, a bit too far um, I don't much care for the artwork of her I think it's a pretty bad um, portrayal um, she, she went postal yeah, she doesn't go postal though. She she teaches yeah. you about how to save hostages. She's basically one or two steps above the area where you can save hostages, and you're taught how to. They call it um, soothe and save, which is get her down to the safe period, soothe her some more, and she will just let hostages go. So that's her point. And then Alexis mentioned the best one of the starting ones, which is Edward Quinn. Uh, he's he's in a hospital, and he's his son is is needs direly needs medical care and this is like a a statement about the american health system it's pretty interesting on that front um and and he again he's not really like looking to kill people he's not a bad person he doesn't kill any hostage unless uh, things go horribly wrong yeah you kind of have to push him in that position and actually you can resolve everything very peacefully just by building up conversation points to give in to his demand, which is give my son medical care. And he'll do, he just gives in. And that's like a very nice depiction to see these three different characters in uh, very different ways. Like Arcane is very just co- like cardboard cutout villain. Um, yeah. He's but, the villain from um, uh, Die Hard. Yeah. No, no, he's not. He's, he's from 24. And I'll tell you why oh. not when I get to them, because there are villains from Die Hard. In the <laughs> yeah, I think the Pedersen twins. They are absolutely the Pedersen twins. Yeah, I, I thought Nakatomi Plaza all, all over. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, but Crime Wave has um, three other abductors and um, Barrett Millens is basically your stereotypical angry man who's angry at everything. Um, and he's actually a bit of a teddy bear underneath it all. Um, it's he's considering how simple he is. He's very interesting to play. 
Uh, and you've also got uh, Renisha Sharp, who's a, a gangbanger who's taken like hostages from another gang. She has some interesting demands. She basically, um, there's there could be more to her. I think that she's more interesting than the first three, but still not one of the best. Um, and there is also, oh, well, there's um, there's one who basically once you've beaten all three of the crime wave abductors there's one more to find and i'm not going to give away anything about who they are and what they do um but it is probably the second best abductor in the entire lot and really good and that's part of the reason i think crime wave is the recommendation but also crime wave is the box that you store the original hostage negotiator box in which is kind of sweet yeah, so then on the other abductor packs, like they're very nice. They look like booster packs. They're not random. There's a disgruntled CEO who tries to take control of conversation all the time. There's um, the Pedersen twins we already mentioned. One of them's quite reasonable, but if you eliminate him, his brother is off the rails and will just like really make your life miserable. Um, there's a, a police lieutenant who's like, hey, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Like You've got to prove I'm innocent. And that's all he cares about. But the trouble is, people believe him and they start having Stockholm Syndrome. It's very difficult to navigate through that one. Um, there's a, a socialite. So she's like a, a, an influencer. And so she's very sort of like silly with what she's doing. She's not taking it serious until suddenly halfway through the game when you get like a number of the hostages out. Suddenly she starts panicking, realising this is a serious situation. Um, but uh, the best one for me is... Valerie Stone, who is a rival, and she's essential for Korea. You have to own her, and you have to own Crime Wave, and the original hostage negotiator to be able to play. And she's a hostage negotiator who has gone off the rails. And so all your tricks don't work, or they work once, or she goes, no, you're not doing that. And it's a great little cat and mouse back and forth. Yeah. Really of course I'm not going to go near the wind. Do you think I'm silly? Yeah, or I heard so I know that trick, you're just stalling for time. Get forget about it. She just takes your tools away. All of that leads into uh hostage negotiator career. And that's fascinating because what Van Ryder games have done is they've built this core system and the first three hostage abductors are interesting but they kind of teach you the game then in crime wave they set things up a bit better the the hostage hostage mechanics are more interesting there's more going on um but it's when you get to the expansion packs that the really interesting uh cases occur and every single one's like a puzzle you've got to have a plan you've got to get in there and make your decisions about what you're handling when it's time to step back and just trade cards in for conversation points and just roll with the punches or when it's time to go for that bit of a gamble and a risk. Um, Korea takes all of those puzzles and asks you, OK, so you're going to do a campaign of multiples. You're going to play one Korea of this of this hostage negotiator, your your choice of hostage negotiator. And along the way, the consequences of each case are going to build. You lose 35 hostages total over the campaign. It's over. You lose. Um, and you will, it's it's like a kind of a, a silly, classic, American crime drama type thing, you know, like NCIS and, and NSI and all of those. Very sort of tongue-in-cheek silliness. You'll encounter one of the abductors in a dream before you face them and all of those kind of things. But 
it builds up wonderfully because all of the things you do, the consequences matter. If you fail, um, it, it, it builds on the story. And so that's okay. You haven't lost the campaign. You can keep going. Uh, and that's fascinating. And the way that they lace Valerie Stone into it is, is really wonderful and interesting. Um, so it, it, it builds in the way that I feel. It reminds me in some ways, and I often make this comparison, I shouldn't, but in this case, I think it's true. It reminds me of playing a campaign of Kingdom Death because you are facing a bunch of different individual personalities. In each case, you're asked to work out what works against each one. Um, and the solution may be different each time. It's not necessarily that each abductor is going to behave the same way. In fact, they won't. And as you do that, whether you win or fail, that builds on the story of your of your campaign and events and you'll get bonuses for some stuff or you'll get a cat and it'll tear up your furniture or you'll get a dog and it'll uh, run away, you know, or you'll have problems with your spouse. It's mm. all very fascinating that they took the systems and didn't mess with them and just added a bunch of little extra decks, little extra mechanics and turned a good game that's an interesting puzzle that sometimes is very frustrating into something where the failures are still not the end. And I thought that was great. Yeah, it does sound really great. I've been interested in Carrier for a while and it definitely sounds like a great variation on the game. And uh, I, I definitely might uh, try to, to grab it. Yeah, it's just not an easy ask because you've got to have Hostage Negotiator and you've got to have Crime yeah. Wave and you've got to have at least, I think, Valerie Stone. And ideally you want a load of other abductor packs as well. So at this point you're looking at $150 which for some people might not be a problem. It's nice that you can buy it a bit at a time, um, but that is a lot for a purely solo game that you could play two-player if you wanted to work with your partner or one other person um, and make the decisions together, but it's not really a co-op game uh, uh, at all. And yeah, I... Uh... I've, I've, I love this so much that I've even picked up the extra meeples. I've got the um, neoprene mat to help organize everything. Um, oh, it's, it's the full and every, Yeah, everything fits into one box really well, which is great. That makes it nice and easy to transport around. Um, and definitely it's been nice seeing them improve on this from one step to the next. Yeah, I'm very excited about what they're doing next. They're taking this system and they're doing a series called Final Girl. Uh, the Kickstarter hasn't like delivered yet, so we're still waiting to see what's going on. But in essence, it's using this same mechanical system of cards and dice, but you play the final girl from a horror movie. Um, okay. And 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 people have said uh, that it's uh, who've had a chance to demo it or play it have said it's really good, like a huge, huge set of improvements over Hostage Negotiator, which is already a good system. Yeah, so I, I didn't play the, the game, but uh, I watched a few videos and stuff like that. And I really liked uh, the layout of the board and stuff. You, you have everything fitting, uh, everything has clear graphics, etc. So I, I think there's also a visual conception of the game, which is great. Yeah, there is. Um, you've reminded me, I didn't even talk about the Terror deck, which... Uh, that's has its own laid out space and it is a it's like the epidemic cards from or like the you know the event cards from any cooperative game where you draw one after you've done stuff and some strange stuff happens mm. and the terror deck sometimes helps you quite often like harms you and becomes more dangerous if you don't know what the demands of the abductor are which 
means it's good to find out those demands quickly, but then you have to think about those and whether you want to concede them. Don't concede letting them have a bus, by the way. They'll just leave. Um, and uh, it, the really cool part of this, right at the end, there's one final terror event which escalates the whole situation and suddenly you're allowed to like buy cards repeatedly during your turn. Normally you can only buy at the end of the turn and you can just keep going and keep going. It represents like that last desperate kind of movie moment where the hostage negotiators trying to do everything they can to, to get a good resolution. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's got a great pacing through this entire thing. I, I gotta say Van Ryder games, anything they make these days, I think I'm going to take a good look at it because it, they, they're fantastic at thematic games. For sure, yeah. No, they do. They definitely seem uh, pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, I as I say, I own two of their games, and they're both like knockouts within their category for me. Hostage Negotiator. Just, I was uncomfortable with the subject matter initially. Then I realized that this was more of a like movie depiction, and I was like, okay, I can get behind that. Uh, they also picked the um, interesting uh, abductors. Is that how they call them? Um, yeah, uh, they, they also picked interesting abductors. Like they always try to make them make sense. Like the either they are clearly movie villains or they, you know, you have to build a relationship and they are, you know, not terrible people like the the uh Quinn for example I think that they they did a good job in not just um taking advantage of some weird of some stereotypes of something I think that they always try to do some stuff that is interesting yeah I agree I I think they they've used this game to say some stuff about the country that they live in yeah uh, for sure and how things are and it is it's certainly interesting to solve the puzzle of each different abductor and figure out what you're doing um yeah i think it's a fantastic game yeah for sure okay well i think that's everything we have to say about hostage negotiator and that was our last game of the podcast and with that final shot, that is all we have time for this episode. Thank you for listening to The Last Standee. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee and follow us as The Last Standee on Twitter or subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app. So it's goodbye from Alexis. Goodbye from Belgium. Goodbye from Alessio. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye from Audrey. Bye-bye. And myself. And remember that the second E in Standee is for enormity. Enormity.